Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Queer Quadrant, a podcast where we, two bisexual filmmakers, examine cinema in all its cultural contexts and explore why your favorite four-quadrant blockbuster is maybe not as straight as you think it is. So you know how Alex Wolf is in this? He is in this. They should have called it the Naked Family Band or the Naked, sorry, the Naked, the Naked Cults band go home the, if he had uh, a brother it could have been the naked brothers band i just want to say that it the bit was actually really good for like once but then you took it two steps too far and the now ground. it's ruined forever i thought you were done with that i thought we had matured past that point did you know that alex wolf was in a band called the naked brothers band I, and guess what's in this movie some there are some naked brothers naked and sisters people yes some elders uh-huh are you done with this bit that was really good and then it became very I'll bad come, i'll come back to it i'm sure you will yes uh we were talking <laughs> briefly off mic about we the, the oscar hopes or lack thereof of tony of this this film particularly yes. tony collette and whether alex wolf deserved to be there yes. alongside her so i don't think he should have gotten a nom i just think you just think he put some on respect the same level onto his name i think that it's a really phenomenal performance like the nuance that he especially in the beginning obviously it's more like i'm um, a stoner kind of performance but the nuance that comes out as the movie goes on and you start to realize how uh horrifying things are really i think like stands out like the scene in the classroom where he like semi like has a seizure and then like slams like everything there all of the business is so good. Yeah. It's, he's good. He's really good. Yeah. He's really good. Uh, Reyna, how do you feel about Alex Wolf? Did you, were you familiar with the aforementioned Naked Brothers band? Uh, unfortunately, I was pretty well Hell acquainted yeah. with the Naked Brothers band. Hell yeah. Uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I had a younger brother that was into that show on Nickelodeon. And so it would just always kind of be on. And then I see him in something like this and I'm like, oh, holy shit. Right? <laughs> he's definitely i always think it's so funny if there's like twins it's obviously more it's funnier but like uh, twins or siblings who were both like child stars together who grow up and like one of them has the art house career and one of them has like totally. kind of like the crappy pop career but alex wolf has both he does he's like i'm gonna give you a jumanji but then i'm also gonna give you a pig Yes. How do you feel? And then he's the one in bad education too, yes. right? Yeah. So it's like he has all the good stuff. Right. And Nat and has what is a Nat in, what is Nat less in? The good Nat stuff. has like paper towns. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> we must we must put paper towns and fault in our stars. Ooh. Yes. Where whereas like uh Alex has like old and yes. and all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah what i love this dichotomy because i I, i've thought about that too with like the fannings and you start off excuse me with like dakota and l and you're like wow dakota is the one she's the signing star and then l was just like i'm gonna stomp on your neck and become the one yeah she like teen spirited her into the ground i think it's because l started well she had she got to observe her older sister right and also but like she didn't do as much stuff when she was young yeah but dakota is so good she's quite good She's amazing. Good actress? Question mark. I like her. I think that she she picks bad projects mm. sometimes, but I like her when she's good. And she was in a, obviously like an amazing child star. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, Dakota's, whoa, whoa. Dakota's great in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Sur- Fantastic. Totally like a beautiful appearance. Was not expecting it. And then all of a sudden <laughs> she's on screen. You're like, oh my God, is that Dakota Fanning? Yeah. I have and to stand for the runaways. Oh, yeah. 
Krista mm, Stewart. Shout out. Who? Just me. Just me, but uh, that's Michael, listen. I I like that movie. It's got Michael Shannon. That's what I was just going to say. Michael it's, Shannon's in it. <laughs> it's got Michael Shannon throwing dog shit at the girls playing the instruments. It's like that, That's a camp hit. No notes. Yep. Yep. No yep, notes. yep. Yep. Basically, Continue. Jordan's only requirement for Felix movie is if, if Michael, Michael Shannon in is yes. in it. Yes. <laughs> oh well, there you go. There right. you go. I will, I will simp for any Shannon vehicle. Mm, we're tragically not talking a Shannon vehicle no. today. We are a movie that does involve a vehicle, though. It you it does involve a vehicle. <laughs> Very too soon. <laughs> Sorry. It's too soon. Dink. <laughs> um. Okay. Hi. I'm Brooke Solomon. Jordan Gustafson. Uh, and uh, joining us today is returning to the show today Woo. is uh the absolutely lovely Rena Cervantes, writer for Fangoria and Bloody Disgusting and a bunch of other great stuff. We're so lucky to have you here. Thank you for being here. I'm glad to be back. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be talking about a movie I like. Unfortunately, the last <laughs> one I didn't like, but it was still a blast that I was just like, you know what? I'll come back anytime you guys want me. Aww, oh, thank delight. you. Well, we had an amazing time. You may remember Raina from an, uh, her iconic performance performance appearance on <laughs> the American Psycho episode. Um, and, you know, you our horror expert and it's so great to have you here to talk an expert horror mm. if you will 2018's hereditary one of the most insane directorial debuts i have ever seen yes in a long time i, I need to pause real fast and just say i got our little shop of horrors and american psycho episodes mixed up because we did that same day <laughs> we did yes. i did like american psycho so no you've had me twice on movies i like we aim to please. There we go. It's it's so it's really fun though whenever someone comes on for a movie that they hate because like then the episode is just like it has a like a proper amount wits. of chaos. Yes. <laughs> and L- if we all hate the movie, that is just a great time. L- listen, Hereditary is chaotic enough on its own. Right. But... <laughs> we. I feel like we just need to get into this movie because it is truly, as Brooke said. Obviously an iconic debut, but uh, one of the hardest watches, I think, in the theater, re-watching, like, I will often, like, I re-read, like, I've read this script twice or three times, like, I will go back to read the script in terms of, like, how it talks about, like, the descriptions and sort of the layout of the script is phenomenal, but, like, watching this movie is very difficult. Yes. Especially, like, the last... 30, I want to say. This is a movie that I love, that I rewatched for this episode, and that I don't think... I'm never seeing it again. ...that I can ever watch again. Maybe in extenuating <laughs> circumstances, but it was actually really good that I had this episode as, like, you know, something that would force me mm. to watch it again. Because, look, we'll just say, all three of us love this movie. We all think that this movie is very good. But, yes, yes it's... uh not exactly like a chill casual watch but i will say <laughs> i don't think any of his movies are <laughs> there are a lot of movies that i rewatch that are not a chill casual watch true this just happens to not be one of them have you seen his short uh yes the john the johnson's one yeah i would Ooh. say that uh that is definitely not one that's a casual rewatch i don't think any of them are he's great yeah. Ari Aster has a twisted Something, mind. Something's going on in but there. But seems to be a very nice man in real life. 
I feel like everyone that I have talked to who has talked to him is like, he's so nice. He's so normal. He's lovely. He just, this is just like what he likes to make. (laughs) He just needs a therapist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or he channels all of his potential bad therapy shit into his film. And as a result, he's a very well-adjusted person. Okay. I don't know. Exactly. It works. If it works for you, it, it works it for works. you. It works. Um, before we dive into this movie, though, I want to talk about why we're talking about this movie. Because, true, as you know, it is spooky season here on the QQ. Um, as gay people, we are stab, stab. required to love Halloween. It's actually part of the handbook that they give mm. you. Um, not many people know that. That would have uh, been good to know. Like if a handbook arrived, so you think you're gay, slips under your door like a fucking Hogwarts letter. It's the gay agenda. Yeah. Okay. It comes, you read it, you learn everything you need to know and you move mm. on with your life. I don't know what to but tell why you. are we covering this? Sorry. Um, because last year we only covered one movie for spooky Despicable. season and we needed to cover more. So this year we are doing a whole month of films highlighting trans and non-binary horror. It has been great so far and it's continuing Today. to be great with this movie, which is kind of like a left field pick. But I'm really glad we're talking mm. about it because it's modern. And I did not think we would be talking about anything that was like this modern. I agree. Um, Just, so it's great. I feel like for me, I'm interested, Raina, to get your thoughts. This definitely the first watch that I had had absolutely did not pick up on any of the themes at all. And upon rewatch watching it, even like a dialogue and stuff, like I just had not noticed it. Like, especially like towards the end, they talk about like they're specifically like talking about payment getting its like healthy male host body you are like no longer in like the uh woman's body or whatever in charlie's body yeah body Uh, basically and like yeah hadn't picked up on it didn't get in this time i'm like oh it's like a sledgehammer telling you about this like whether or not as we say if it's good bad or if it's even as much as we think but I just had not noticed it at all the first watch. And that's what we're here to talk about, along with all the other good stuff. True, yes. But yes, Raina, I'd be very curious to know, like, upon first watch, like, yeah. what, like, what did you walk away with this movie? from this movie thinking about? Oh, God. First first time watch. Let me lay down the groundwork for this first time watch. This is a, kind of I a lengthy this. story. Uh, I you're was, getting in I, your Subaru and you're about <laughs> to drive. Getting in my Subaru. I'm getting ready to drive onto the lot of the movie where they're showing it um i got scorsese in the passenger seat (laughs) he's talking about marvel movies and how much he loves them don't go on he's he's going like i love marvel cinema and ari aster is an absolute hack i would never write i would never write an essay for a midsummer release (laughs) but but no in all seriousness uh i was a manager at an amc at the time um and we would not we wouldn't be allowed to but we would do it anyway we would watch movies about two or three days before release the rules so we did it with this because we were just all hyped because my friend had the script and he read it and i was like what do you think and he's like i could send it to you if you want and i was like i don't want it and he's like He's like, I need to like go see a priest now, now that I read it. He's like, that movie's going to be insane. Throw holy water at me, please. Well, so this was like pre-transition for me. So Mm -hmm. we're just also like, let's get high for this. Mm. And we do this edible. Because like we were going to show it after the theater had closed. So it was going to be like 1130, 12 o'clock at night. 
So we do this edible that my brother like homemade. He didn't tell me Oof. what was in it. Oh, geez, Louise. But my friend puts half of it in his mouth like I do. And he just stares me in the eyes and he's like, oh, no. <gasps> and he starts and he still chews it and swallows it. Come to find out later on, it had mushrooms in it and we didn't know. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. Oh, so, my God. You were ascending like Tony in the movie. You're fucking floating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we throw on The Last Jedi, like, as a pregame movie. <laughs> and this is, I love everything about this. Great. And and partway through, it hits me like a fucking freight train. Like, I'm talking like, oh, like, I felt like Doctor Strange, where, like, the ancient one, like, hits him, and he, like, leaves his body. Or, like, a I pole, maybe? Like, a pole hits your I, head. Like, and I, yeah. I, I felt it. like my head hit a pole, and mm. then, like, I ascended mm. somewhere, but it hit me rough, and, like, before I had like come out or like transitioned, like every time I would get high, those thoughts would like come into my head. Mm. So they were coming into my head like three times as hard. And oh I my god! Like, I was like tripping hard, and I was like, "Oh no!" I was like, "This is what this is like. Not what I want to do with my life. I want to do this other thing." And I'm having an existential crisis. My friend's tripping out too because he's just like, oh, this is a bad high. He's like, let's go to the theater. Like, we couldn't even drive. We had to Uber it to the theater. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, gosh. So we did. And I'm sitting there just high on mushrooms during this entire experience. And then that theme comes up near the end of like, oh, payment's oh, going to be in his in his rightful body and i was like oh no i'm like i'm experiencing this for myself too oh my god and it That's was just insane. like and like on top of that all the horrific stuff that goes down in it like it was not a fun time like it was very traumatic like like so traumatic to the point that was that i was like oh i gotta watch that again sober tomorrow <laughs> Yeah, to like to, yeah, sort of actually get like a clean viewing yeah, of the movie through like, a rational mindset. Because like my other friend was like, what'd you think? And I was like, I just remember bits and pieces, but I know I'm fucking terrified right now. I cannot like, imagine wow. what it would be like to watch this film like impaired because it is one of those films where you know it's like oh you know if it's a scary movie and you take something like maybe it'll sort of take the edge off you won't be as scared this movie is the exact kind of fucked up where like if you are on something it will make you also more fucked up so two movies that have done that with me like because i uh, you know full disclosure i do it with movies all the time hey now uh, we gotta do what we do (laughs) i mean i mean i mean given that hereditary was mushrooms and i didn't know so <laughs> that so one was probably wild I, and so the two movies that have just been bad experiences while baked out of your gourd are hereditary <laughs> and uh annihilation which <gasps> are both very like body oriented <laughs> movies annihilation score annihilation is one of the best theater experiences i've ever had there was nobody there it was so sad it was like opening weekend um jordan's doing like wavy annihilation dance um i love that movie so much it's like one of my favorite movies ever but that is not a movie to see high i think that i would have like had to leave the theater the bear yeah the bear is what i can barely experience that stone cold sober barely experience that go home (laughs) but 
obviously both of those are like very like body oriented like movies right. like yes. oh maybe your body is like not your own and yeah. totally. past, like those have had and I, it was probably what I was personally dealing with at the time mm. mm-hmm. like being pulled up to a head like going like oh I didn't know I was struggling with that but I know I am now <laughs> Yeah, um, that's. I mean, that's kind yeah, of amazing. So, in a weird way, this movie almost—you could say—helped me realize I was trans. That's you know, really, really that. cool. It's a great. It's always, I think, like you know, as a bunch of film nerds, it's always nice to kind of have like some sort of cinematic experience that you link with, like coming out. However, you are coming out. Like, I feel like that. I don't know. That's just like a a really nice melding of the interests you know and it's like media is meant to help you like through a lot of different things recognize things yeah yourself so i think it's always nice when that happens and it's extra nice to me when it happens through a non-traditional movie that's like not really about that like hereditary or like me seeing thor ragnarok and like ascending to a different plane for yeah (laughs) with this movie like obviously you you had your first watch second watch now that you've transitioned like you know you've transitioned how has your viewing experience with it changed like has it been the same do you sort of view it through a different lens now like has that sort of impacted anything or is it still i think now i don't really see stuff like that because like oh i got all that the first Mm, time right i I see it more as like kind of almost the self-destruction of like the nuclear family definitely um and also um, almost like a commentary on divine intervention. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, I, I pick up like on the like very existential stuff of this movie now to the point that it's like, oh, maybe I should crack open that Bible. It sounds like wild stuff happens in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like that's... Yeah. A, no, well, you just climbed up Brooks Tree for Bible stuff. Correct. But I feel like this is a fascinating movie and like doing research for this app and like just sort of like reading reviews and everything. It's like, I think this movie is super fascinating because there's about like a hundred different reads on it. And all of them I think have value and like have very salient points. Like, as you were saying, like this is totally about like the nuclear family and like deconstruction of like trauma and like things that are hereditary within families and how that impacts like children and like so forth. But also like, there is this undercurrent where if you want to talk about like Charlie being this person who is experiencing gender dysmorphia and like that being a product of like her grandmother trying to force upon her. But then you can also read like the payment stuff. Like there's so many different reads of this movie that are all completely there. It's just sort of like how you want to view it. And it's sort of that beautiful thing. I think that we talk about a lot of where it's like, especially with queer reads, it's like you can kind of, read it if you want you can not read it if you want and like this movie you can as i had my first time watching i was like oh this is a masterpiece because it's all about the family and this time i watched it and i'm like oh it's a masterpiece because it's all about you know payment and charlie and so right. it's however you want to view it there's so many different ways that you can have a, a different takeaway yeah this movie is like about so many different things and i feel like ari aster is not he's not as as prickly as david lynch who's like mm. the movie is what the movie is about don't ask me about my fucking movies but he's he is like sort of cryptic yeah. in that he'll say like he was very transparent about being like midsummer is about a toxic relationship right but there's, but so, there's even trans reasons that yeah, yeah there's so much to his movies and like i think that it's very deep and this is definitely a movie that like 
crawls under your skin and like mm. every single scene is just so like prickly and upsetting uncomfortable um that there's like a oh, lot to take we away didn't even, we didn't even talk about the most upsetting moment is that they're at the party and they're putting fucking pecans on on a cake that was my first <laughs> note i have zero notes on the movie the one note one okay well i would serve cake at a party because i have before but yeah, two can't confirm why are you gonna put nuts in the cake like that like if you're gonna do the nuts you would do it as like a nice decoration on the outside if anything the way that they're doing it is crazy and especially for a high school party no one would be doing that no one would it's ever so be upsetting at a high school party See? I brought that up because I knew the baking aspect would get to you. <laughs> I am pissed about it. Ari Aster, call me. We got some notes. No, totally agree, though. It's like, what are you doing with that cake? It's a chocolate cake. You don't need that. Just serve it normal. <laughs> I think it's funny that they, like, at the beginning, you see them literally, like, making the mix. Like, they yeah. truly put a yeah. whole ass cake in the oven at this party. And the party's already going, too. Like, he's <laughs> arriving, like, two hours late. <laughs> Just time for they the just like got high and they're like, dude, we should make a fucking cake, what man. Made some cake right <laughs> it's also like on Tony because also like if you're a mother, why are you sending Charlie? Charlie doesn't want to go. Obviously, he doesn't want her there. If you like, you know, your son's going to a party, even though he says he's not drinking. Like, come on. Yeah, I love yeah. that. But yeah. even before everything happens and like this movie obviously opens with a terrible thing having already happened mm. which is is her name lee the grandmother i think so dying so it's like tony collette is already in an isolated and like upset state of mind but i love that this is not necessarily a movie about a good parent turning into a bad parent She's it's already a, a, a bad movie parent. about a bad parent who admits that she never really wanted to be a parent that scene is crazy. I love that scene. I love it's that wild because it cuts too. It's like she's like, I never wanted to have you. I tried to like kill you a bunch of times, and then it cuts to her covered in like turpentine. Or, yeah, paint then, thinner. But it's like <laughs> such quick cuts because it's going. She's normal. Then you cut to and you're like, did they just like start really sweating? And then you're like, oh no, this is what's happening. That's and you paint thinner, baby. <laughs> See, so like that aspect, it's like. Is she sleepwalking and dousing her kids in like paint thinner, trying to kill them like while she's sleepwalking? Is that like God's twisted divine intervention of trying to save her kids from the fate that's awaiting them? I used to be like deeply religious, so like especially Catholic. So you just mm -hmm. kind of come from that background of like, oh, God has a plan for everything. Mm -hmm. If everything happens the way it happens, it was God's will. So it's like it's almost like this like twisted like fucking view on it like oh her brother like killed himself she's dousing her kids in paint thinner and almost burning them to a crisp it's like is that god like stepping in going like no fuck that this guy like cannot come to earth i'm gonna yeah. do whatever i can to stop it mm. I'm so glad that you brought up religion because I also come from a very Catholic family really? and um, some people may not know that about <laughs> me, um, but I know that you have been watching Midnight Mass. I will say I'm not done with it yet, but I've watched enough that I feel like I can talk about some of the themes. Midnight Mass is the new Mike Flanagan series on Netflix. Ding dong. It's great. You should watch it. Ding dong. Who's there? It's, it's the bells of mass. Okay. Sorry. Great. 
Thank you. you Thank I, you for your contribution. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're providing background accompaniment. And I, like I said, I'm not finished yet. So with the series yet. So apologies if this turns out to be a wrong take. But I love like what that series is doing with that sort of idea that there's a plan for everything and how like religion takes your responsibilities away from you in a way because you're not really responsible for anything that is happening and like if you just trust in like what's happening then everything will work out in the end and um well I was watching Hereditary because I think the first time I watched it I was like oh it's a movie about the occult it's not necessarily a movie about like Christian religion Mm. but it is however it's like you barely see them in church you only see them in church at the grandmother's funeral like when she goes to the support group it's in like a community center like they're not really explicitly a religious practicing family um and so I think it's like really interesting to think about the relationship between taking matters into your own hands and organized religion because it's like in Hereditary, this family has sort of stepped away from the ultra-religiousness. Like, Tony Collette is trying to sever herself from her, her hereditary family. <laughs> she is also trying to sever her head from her body at one point um, and succeeds. You True. know, she does that. Uh, <laughs> and so, she like... She <laughs> bossed her head, baby. By stepping away, she's trying to regain control of, like, her life yeah. and sort of, like, her religion and... She ends up failing and it's a question of like how much is the cult manipulating everything or how much of it is like you said, Raina, some sort of mm. higher power. That was kind of a long ramble, but uh long story short, Midnight Mass good, hereditary also good. I think when you when you put it like that, um what hereditary and midnight mass like basically basically share rather than like their readings, it's not so much less like, oh, religion makes you unaccountable. It's like it's more of like posing the question, does the end always justify the means? Mm-hmm. Right. Like the end result of both, like, is it worth what it took to get there? I think that's a fascinating thing with this movie as well, because if you look at Charlie's transition or like the transition for payment, it's a very violent transition. Like the transition from like a female body to a male body is just about like, mutilating and destroying bodies and like uh, the body count and blood count and it's like is it worth that in the end result for payment to be in this male host versus the female host you know what i mean like is that worth it for the end i guess that's like the question i guess the movie could pose is as you were saying like for the body counts and stuff which like that could also be seen as like a more literal take of like when depending on somebody's family when they choose to transition to like the opposite gender or a different identity a lot of the time that tears families apart yeah and this one it's literally tearing them apart by like obviously massacring them but like figuratively like in real life when somebody transitions like most of the most of the time like a great deal of time it destroys families like it destroys that like perfect nuclear family yeah and like the seeds of that are, I mean, throughout this whole thing, it's the, as you said, the deconstruction of that New Year family. And it's interesting too, with, as you were saying, I guess from the beginning with like the grandmother's influence where like, uh, Tony Collette tries and tries to sort of separate herself and like save Alex Wolf from the grandmother. And like, no matter what, like the grandmother still gets 
her claws in Charlie. And like, was that supposed to ultimately happen? Like, was there no escape for her to be able to do that? Like she tried clearly. But... Yeah. I mean, that's what is so great about the premise and what is present about this horror movie from the very beginning is that like, there is no escaping this one way or another. Like it's getting you. They're always there. Yeah. Like the cultists are there from the beginning. They're always, they're around the house, mm-hmm. like croaching they're at the in. Funeral. Yeah. Like they're everywhere. And I think that like, the first scene where Charlie really talks when she's in bed talking about like, well, who's going to take care of me if you die? Mm-hmm. Um, like that's the first time we really like see that character in a scene. And she's just talking about like grandma wished I was a boy or like she said that I should be a boy. Like right. from that is like the status quo from the beginning. Um, like they break the family breaks down so intensely but they're kind of like mid breakdown at the beginning and it's very impressive to have a family go from like pretty fucked up to like really 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 fucked up up. it's like also with that exactly as you're saying it's like that line too i think breaks charlie and tony collette's relationship because tony collette like completely i don't think gets what charlie's saying Mm -hmm. like she's just like yeah, like I was a tomboy once too. Like I'm here for you. I'm your mother. It's like compl- it's not really emotional or supportive. She's just like you can always like rely on me. I'm your mom. Like duh, that's what I'm here for. But it's not what Charlie needs to hear. Yeah, because like the grandmother knew how to like talk to Charlie, and so for good or ill, whatever the grandmother's doing, you know what I mean. But like to not have your mother's support is gonna break you, and that will, as Raina said, drive the family even further apart. Yeah. Uh, super light fucking movie. good yeah. super light super, super fun. light watch just watch it with your friends and family on a <laughs> casual friday night it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah no this is actually one of those movies it's like hey do you want me to fuck up y'all's evening <laughs> yes i would Definitely. just like to say unless if you are listening to this and you haven't seen mm. the movie like proceed with caution if you don't know what you're getting yourself into i don't know where our listeners come from so i just feel yeah. like do, i yeah, feel like i need to give adequate warning if you're, if you're not in like the best state of mind probably skip this <laughs> Yeah, I. What was you? I was to say, what's your theory experience? My with experience. It? I saw this, I believe, in the era of Movie Pass. Oh, um, oh. in peace. R.I.P. in peace. Fallen um, soldier. Because <laughs> I saw this at a Regal. Payment's finest soldier. <laughs> yeah. Movie Pass. Truly, I saw this at a Regal Cinema, which, like, I would have only gone to a Regal Cinema if there was Movie Pass, because I Iconic. am of an AXC, AMC exclusive gal Ooh. now. Um, but. Uh, a fire alarm went off. Oh my god! At like oh. Act One of this movie, and it, it was... turns off the projectors. Mm-hmm. Right? We had to go outside for like twenty minutes, and then I think it was like someone pulled it or bumped it or something because they sent us back in oh pretty quickly. God. Um, oh my god! But <laughs> it was payment. So that was that. It was actually kind of good because it was right when the movie was starting to get like really creepy, and I was like, I need a break from this movie, and then I got a break. <laughs> But then I, I had no idea what was coming. <laughs> wow. I had not seen anything yet. I think. That's like, I'm going to give Brooke a break. Yeah. <laughs> she needs Our it. Our finest soldiers, Brooke. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah it's, I, it, honestly, I did need a break because I was not doing well. I think it was after the, the head pull mm. scene business, like oh. five minutes after that. And I, I was mean, like, I ho- can't do this, man. That hard cut to Charlie's it. head covered in bugs in the broad daylight is the most searing image maybe all time it just sticks in your craw i either 
processed it and then didn't remember or totally didn't notice it. But like the fact that that head is on the payment statue at the end, Mm -hmm. I totally forgot about that. And I was like, yeah, that's really just the um, walnuts on top of the cake, so to speak. I shit. I was in the theater and even high as hell on the mushrooms. I'm like, oh, that's fucked up. That's (laughs) fucked up. That's not right. (laughs) <laughs> through the haze you're like oh no I'm, I'm, like my subconscious is like navigating through the haze in my mind going like yo you shouldn't be watching this that's amazing oh my gosh God. i mean it's just like this really it's there are so many bad movies about how family trauma can like fuck you up uh and like i don't know i think that the realist the quote-unquote realistic parts of this movie are also like so good about how family trauma fucks you up like yes. i think about tony collette's monologue i Ugh. am your mother not actually that one but i, I am mean, maybe not your mother that's a great one which one um but the one where she's in the support group and she's talking uh, about yeah. like what happened with her family and everything like she said my brother yeah killed Kill himself, himself because yeah. he said my mother was trying to put people inside of him and the idea that it like goes back so far it's kind of just like oops sorry i've been trying to summon a demon for like four generations what <laughs> are we gonna do about it though yes like you never really figure out how it started or like what this woman was involved in right. but like i don't know i just think it's a great way to explore like one bad person in a family mm. can like rot the whole tree yeah or yeah. like the tree yeah. is rotting the like, tree is the tree do be rotting or, it yeah. was truly like the the family trauma elements i feel like are so strong and like that's what i definitely what stuck with me the first time was just like ex- like seeing that and recognizing you know and it's just like not many films i think grapple as we've sort of mentioned with the nuances of family trauma i feel like oftentimes it's like what if you had trauma yeah exactly (laughs) but not like actually how it impacts various family members and even like with like the husband and like how exhausted he is by everything and like how he like wants to be there but like he can't and how he bottles everything up and there's that one shot where he finally like lets go in the car and just starts crying and it's like that's so realistic but sometimes like within movies they'll just like have someone crying like that but like it feels earned within this context versus just a scene that's thrown there just to be like oh look he's like feeling something oh now. look emotions and, yeah right and that's important is that everything in this movie feels earned nothing in it feels like it's there for like shock yeah. value or to like try and make a bold statement it's like no i'm gonna tell a story about like family trauma grief gender dysmorphia um <laughs> yeah yeah satanism motherhood like, let's go. yeah <laughs> We're going, like, the whole nine yards. Even, like, with the horror beats, like, there's a shot, obviously, like, the Tony Collette scuttling on the ceiling. Oh, God. It's, like, that is... I have never been in an audience with, like, such a good reaction. Like, I was in the best audience reaction. Opening night at the Arclight seeing this with, like, a full crowd was, like, the best fucking experience. May that Arclight come back, please. But it was, like... (laughs) a full (laughs) crowd reaction to that but it's like as you were saying it's so earned because at that point you're like so fucking on board that like even when there's floating or like there's these supernatural things you're already with it and so it doesn't matter you're completely sold because the movie starts pretty like normal grounded horror like there are some like spooky orbs and there's like some weird cult stuff but like 
it ends up being like a demon released upon the earth and like floating bodies, but like you're so sold by them that it doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. And like um that that one shot we all know the one shot the one shot where alex wolf sits up in bed and like it's so dark that you have to wait for your eyes to adjust in real time and i just remember being in the theater i was also opening weekend i think and hearing just like a gasp then another gasp and then a bunch of people be like oh shit it's just like so crazy i've never heard that before ever you know it's less like iconic but honestly it's still a really great theater moment was I don't remember what I was going to see but the trailer playing before it was A Quiet Place and it was Mm. the first time that the A Quiet Place trailer had debuted in theaters and people in big crowded theaters like are talking during the previews they're settling in they're getting their popcorn I remember that trailer was on for like 20 seconds and it was dead silent in the theater it was awesome and the trailer finished and there was just like a bunch of a ripple of like nervous laughter through the whole audience. That rules. Like, oh. <laughs> People reacting to trailers in a movie theater is like a very undiscussed but amazing experience. Oh, it's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah, this is this is a, such a good theater movie. I think like um David Ehrlich wrote in his review, which was I feel like the first one that people were like oh shit mm. masterpiece territory um he was like you have to see this in a a brightly a, a well projected theater yes um with as many people as possible uh because there's so much that's hiding in the shadows like you said there's that one shot of all the cultists outside right. the house which i didn't even notice i had to go nudes. on reddit and they were like oh there's this shot and then i was looking for it and i only saw the little people standing around the house because i was it's creepy as it. fuck so you want to hear something like fucked up? Absolutely. You have cultists outside your house <laughs> no, right now? <laughs> no, I wish. No, I'm kidding. But uh, when Midsummer was coming out, a bunch of my crew members at AMC wanted to see it, but they hadn't seen Hereditary. So we hooked up a Blu-ray player to the projector and did a Hereditary Midsummer double feature back to back. That's like five yeah. and a half hours yeah, truly. of just the worst things that I've ever looked at your eyeball. I I was like, you guys are going to have to come like at like maybe eight o'clock because I know this projector won't be playing anything. So I'll start hereditary for y'all. And then, yeah, so we did it back to back. And my girlfriend at the time hadn't seen either one. Like, well, nobody had seen Midsummer. This was like two days before it came out. So (laughs) she's like, I'm gonna go. I don't really like horror movies, but I'll go. And she walks out because I guess Hereditary ended and I was still working, getting ready to go watch Midsummer. And she's like, fuck you. And I was <laughs> like, what? She's yeah. like, that movie is fucked up. Like, this is not a starter horror movie. I feel like every time something, especially horror, because like fear is such a difficult thing to like replicate authentically. You're either mm. scared at a movie or you're not. Like whenever a new horror comes out that people are like this thing is like a new voice in horror the new generation you've never been scared like you'll be scared in this movie like 99 out of 100 times it's overhype and it Mm. lets you down yeah yeah. but not in this movie it's a good point it's like i think with a lot of horror movies there are scares and like jump scares and things but very rarely for me has there been a horror movie other than snakes on a plane um (laughs) jordan hates snakes i fucking hate snakes on a plane the the scariest movie ever made where a horror sequence and scenes actually make you actually scared and not 
uncomfortable and like nervous about things. And like when you're a child, I think it's different because like you're not used to it. But as an adult, I think you become so, especially with the internet age, you kind of become so distilled by trauma and so much that you're kind of just, it washes over you at times or you like laugh. But with this movie, I feel like it was one of the first times in a while where I felt actually genuinely scared by what was happening on screen by a horror movie. And it's like, that happened a few times with it. I think just because it really hit like a, a fear that it's a very I had, well right? The first um, one, and like there are other horror movies, obviously, but like for a lot, like I don't know. I was just like thinking about *Malignant* because *Malignant* obviously is the most recent. <laughs> a memory. blast! It's one like that is a, a horror movie, but it's so much fun, and it's like there are some scares, but it's not scary versus this movie where it's an actually very upsetting Mm -hmm. movie yeah it's very upsetting because it's not just it has like like we said quality scares quality earned jump scares but it's also just like deeply like upsetting like all every frame of it is so upsetting okay wait speaking of trailers really quickly can we talk about how a lot of horror movie trailers like ruin your viewing experience because Mm. they give away important jump scares or they give like even if it's if you have the horror trailer is about nothing Mm -hmm. it still like gives away things that you don't want and how this movie's trailer thank you for the clicking (laughs) business (laughs) um how this horror movie's trailer like totally set you up to think that it was about a completely different movie yes iconic no i I mean, the trailer fucking rules so hard. As I was doing the cuts, obviously, to Charlie's or whatever she did, yeah. like that noise. But it's completely like being like Charlie-centric. Like, there's something wrong with this child. Yeah. Creepy We're, child horror Creepy child is going to kill you. Like, cuts, oh, this pigeon's head, beheaded. But then the fact that also that the twist doesn't get spoiled by anybody before, like, in any review, like completely had no idea an incredible first act twist yes and i think what helped is that kudos to all the the critics who reviewed it nobody was like go in cold you don't want to know the twist and you're like oh great what's the fucking twist right. like nobody said a word yeah um i love it and yeah that clicking i will say i said think i saw this movie in the evening and uh i got home with my boyfriend and i was brushing my teeth or something in the dark he started doing the clicking noise and <laughs> that rules. I almost that rules. killed him for real. I think I like picked up a pillow and I was like yeah, looking you around. smothered him. I, it was not good. Um, yeah, that first act <laughs> twist is so good. And yeah, the fact like, what the hell trailer did I just watch where I'm like, oh, I feel like I just watched the whole, oh, I just watched the Halloween Kills trailer. Right. And it's like the new that one, yeah. final trailer. Like, oh, it's like, oh, it's I've, so much of it so much whereas like hereditary it's like i was in the theater charlie's death happens and i was like oh i'm like we're like 20 minutes into this damn movie and i feel like i've just seen everything that was in the trailer yeah yeah Yeah. the way in which too it then immediate not to like be the emotional whatever about this but the way in which they then (laughs) show grief within this was specifically with alex wolf character where he doesn't react at all and just drives home is like just so traumatized i feel like was what's so good about this and like there is no big reaction that he has he's not screaming he's not crying he's not trying to like pick the head up like he's just cold and that i think is more it's more true i think to like how humans would react and it's also scarier because then you're like 
holy fuck, like, what did I just witness? And then right. when you get Tony screaming, obviously, it, like, hits it home. But that first reaction where you just see the car slowly driving forward, you're like, oh, my fucking God, what the hell did I just see? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also really like the Tony Collette screaming on the floor. That is uh, that is probably the scene that sticks with me the most. I know mm. that it's kind of like an inconsequential scene, but I have like never heard anyone yeah. react yeah. like that in a film. Um, the noises coming out of her mouth. Yeah. Like it's like heaving. It's crazy. And yeah, I really like that there's no confrontation scene between mm. Tony Collette and Alex Wolf right off the bat. Obviously, yeah. iconic dinner scene is iconic, right. but you don't get the, what are you doing? Why didn't you say anything? How right. could you have done right. this? What happened? It's just hard cut to the funeral. Yeah. Yeah. It's just everyone. I, I think, think, like you said, Jordan, it's every, it's like more human, like, because in that situation, it's like, how the fuck do you even process that? Right. Like you go into shock. You're just like, and then it's like after the funeral, after everything else, then it's like, listen, the gloves are fucking off. Let's go. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, and it's like that. This movie, as we were saying, it's like two funerals and two deaths, and you're like, wow, like what is the weight of that? And you can just see that in everyone's faces, the way that it weighs on them. And it's like a family tragedy is ultimately the movie, and it's like obviously descends into horror and like is a horror throughout, but it is such a grounded movie about family. And that's what was interesting with Tony Collette's casting is she like, wasn't on board at first, but she got sold on the actual like fam, sorry, family conflict and drama, which is kind of amazing that like, that's what sold her because like you could, she did the sixth sense. Like she's done horror before. Like she did fright night, like a couple years before. (laughs) So she's done it, but it's like, this movie was, she just was so sold on the actual, thematics which is so beautiful yeah and she said that she like wasn't looking to do horror so she was like i'm sick of crying in my movies like i need to do something different and her agent was like okay i know what you said but you (laughs) have to read this thing and obviously like she's this is this is the performance of a career with the mouth agape to then shut like Mm -hmm. transition gif whatever that's always going around how how does she how does her body do those things another moment that i feel like i better processed this watch around and reina i know you watch this movie like very frequently so you're probably like uh oh yeah yeah, we all know this scene but um the seance at Mm. ann dowd's house um and dowd cool and dowd oscar when truly when truly although she long overdue maybe she's coming this year for for mass not midnight mass but the movie mass which is not about Uh, catholic mass but is in fact about a mass shooting oh wait it's like it's her and jason isaacs and two other actors that i don't remember not even her like a lot of like festival hype around it it's supposed to be like incredible but i think it's kind of like a play movie where it's like it's it's all it's in real time and it's it's about i think it's two sets of parents like talking through the aftermath of oh, Jesus. a mass shooting. And it's oh, that's not heavy like, at all. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that's so a, we'll that's see. another casual watch. Yeah. Throw that on like a 2 PM on a Sunday. I'm so yeah, sorry. Cause I don't, I don't remember which critic it was, but I saw someone who like reviewed it out of like the, the New York film festival or whatever, who was like this, like people are getting Oscar nominations. For oh, this that movie. Rules. But we'll see. Please we'll see. Anyway, it's I'm, always, I'm, I'm, I'm like being torn in two different directions of like, cause like, 
I, I, I want to follow the New York film stuff, but like more of my crowd is the fantastic film yeah. stuff. You're like, what <laughs> about so many festivals? To feel? So, so everybody's talking about like mass, and I'm over here like, ooh, I want to see the black phone. Right. <laughs> good poster, good though. Thing. Um, poster. Speaking of great today in religious news, um, a bunch of <laughs> Catholics at the <laughs> New York Film Festival were protesting <laughs> Benedetta, um, which is so Rules. great. And Rules. I just really can't wait to see that movie. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, my original, oh yes, my original point was about the seance yes. at Ann Dowd's house, and I really like this is a movie where, as we established, a lot of fucked up shit happens, and I really like how Tony Collette reacts to mm. feeling supernatural things. Mm. Like she's so freaked out, but she's such a good actress that there is like not an ounce of unbelievability in yeah. it and that shit is so difficult in every horror movie the scene where the person has to confront the fact that there are supernatural forces fucking with them i'm always like okay you just need to accept it and then move to the next scene because i don't want you to sit in this like mm. i'm sick of it just accept the thing and move on we all know that you have to it's like in a rom-com when the couple breaks up and you have to get through like the 10 shitty minutes when they're yeah. not together but tony collette like i uh, watching it i was like this is so affecting, and this is the part of horror movies that I usually like cannot stand. It's like an exercise in both minimalism and maximalism, maximalism. Because her like the emotions and all the sequences are so minimal, but then the horror beats that you actually get are so dialed up. Where like that's where Aster thinks succeeds, because like a lot of the time you're like on a not like a low heart rate but you're sort of like hovering and then all of a sudden it's like you're about to witness the scariest murder you've ever seen in your life so then you like that beat hits so hard i think it's interesting that like someone like aster is like able to nail stuff in this movie that other movies that other horror movies like fail at and it's like i think it it comes from the background that like he didn't want to do horror Mm. like he's he's never like set out to do horror movies in fact like midsummer like i think if i recall like in an interview he said that wasn't even like supposed to be a horror script wow and, hilarious <laughs> when yeah. you look at the end result <laughs> yeah wild that like i watched a three hours director three hour director's cut and go like oh my god not horror all right all right mr <laughs> all right um, sir mr aster over which, here which like makes me wonder if like because i hear his next one is supposed to be crazy different like not horror mm. and i'm like is he just pulling the rug out and just lying and it's gonna be a horror it's like hard to say but i think he nails it because he's not he's like an outsider looking in like mm. he like talks about how horror movies terrify him so yeah he probably looks at, okay, what's the shit that would scare me the most? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting when you look at like his history of movies that he's actually made. Is that what you were going to say? No, but good good point. Keep going. Like, I'll come back to it. Like we said, his his short, um, the, the, the Johnson's there's like, something about something, the Johnsons yeah. or something. Yeah. Like that is a horrifying short. And like, didn't he direct a movie before this sort of? Munchausen with Rachel Brosnahan. Yes. Which is like about, it's, it's also a horror, at yeah. least like in horror territory. And sometimes I think it's like really good for filmmakers to, directly interact with the stuff that they dislike because you can make like a really affecting and like poignant movie that way but mm. it, it's a, definitely like a really big gamble that you have to take i he i think like he's just he's amazing what were you gonna say 
it's interesting, Reina, that you said that and brought this point up because I think about as we covered with Silence of the Lambs, I think Jonathan Demi isn't a wasn't a fan of horror and doesn't make any horror after that, doesn't make any horror before it, like does exploitating movies that are like action, but it's like the only horror movie he does. And I think it's super interesting when directors sort of as we've that's exactly your point. It's like they yeah. set out to do something that's like uncomfortable. Uncomfortable for them. And like him doing a horror, if that's like uncomfortable, it's so fascinating that this is the end result of that because you could see that the one million dollar indie version of this, or then you have this ten million dollar horror version, and it's like, it's like both are great, but like you can see the way in which this one log line could go a variety of different ways because it's pretty simple. It's a family grappling with like the death of a grandmother and child. Right. Cool. What's going to happen? You know, Ooh, versus like a, anything you can know, happen. The cult and stuff that gets weaved in. Right. Point I want to go to for us, if we can veer this direction, let's, is on, I think we kind of touched upon it, but like this movie's depiction of like women and motherhood, mm-hmm. I find super fascinating. And I think like, then again, women in horror, I guess like first things first is like, I think that this movie has a super interesting undercurrent of anxiety about femininity within it and mm-hmm. Charlie's fear of it. And I think that that is a lot of, of horror sort of like with women as the central lead is sort of like an undercurrent of it or like the way in which horror interacts with womanhood. And like for this movie, it's like Tony Collette's characters like under the microscope of like what a mother has to be in a nuclear American family. And she is like, so actively doesn't want that, but is forced to like have her children and is forced to like be thrust into this role and Brooke had mentioned off mic Rosemary's baby and it's like Rosemary's baby you have this woman who is forced to bear this demon child and I think that this movie has an interesting relationship to femininity I don't know if any of you guys picked up on that or have thoughts on it but it's been rattling in my brain for a while yeah I mean I think like um a lot of femininity in horror movies is obviously about like what's it called the madonna horror dynamic or whatever it is Mm. like you're either um like a lovely virgin ingenue or like you're a slut um and that means you're gonna die or yeah so i think that like horror has always had like really interesting Mm. relationship but there's a lot of like horror that deals with women's bodies not Mm. just in like a sexual way but in sort of like a life cycle type of way and I don't know like it seems like there's a lot of abject horror about like having your body not fully be your own like Rosemary's Baby but it's all done through like mostly done through like a very cis lens where it's like what if you had something growing inside you that you didn't want to be there or what if you had to take care of something that you didn't want to take care of right um and like how you feel the pressure of motherhood. So I think that this movie is relationship between femininity and like either a rejection of it in whatever form that is. Cause you have Tony Collette rejecting motherhood and Charlie rejecting uh, like traditional femininity. Right. Like ha- the relationship between being a woman and having a certain type of body. Mm. Um, I don't know like how, how much Ari Aster was like putting that specific theme in. Right. But the more I think about it, the more I feel like the stronger it gets. Right. And what do, what do you, do you have any, any thoughts? Shit, you took the words right <laughs> out of my mouth. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, yeah, like rejecting what 
the societal like standards are for you and i like how you brought up how like usually most of it is through that cis lens of yeah. rosemary's baby whereas this one is a bit more uh esoteric i'll say mm-hmm. like it, it's a bit more out there um you could get a lot more readings off of it because yeah fuck this movie is good this that's movie, all i really gotta say it's really good there's so many i mean like you know i feel like we already touched on like a lot of the like trans readings but there's actually like so many little details that we haven't even mentioned mm. yet like um the grandmother makes embroidered doormats and pillows and the one for charlie is embroidered with charles it's mm. like embroidered in the male form and uh ari aster has talked about how whenever you see charlie in this movie except like potentially during the seance like she's not charlie she's paymon like she Mm. she's been possessed or like she has been a host for this thing Mm -hmm. um from like the moment that she was born Mm. um and like how that sort of like affects her portrayal like her outward portrayal and like her look at the world and how Alex Wolf's character starts acting more like her as like the demon worms himself like further into Alex Wolf. And he has like the seizure and his like mouth lip comes up and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he makes the click right before he goes right. into the treehouse. With payment too, I think it's like reading about payment, you know, now I'm obviously worship at the feet. Um, uh, hashtag Hail Payment. Absolutely. But like <laughs> payment's portrayal like uh apparently like throughout like history and stuff i feel like is like things that are discussed because payment is like specifically gendered as a male a male demon a male demon yes Let's uh the eighth king of hell as yes. we know um we stand a king but his like depiction is very feminine at times like wearing like longer clothes that like are more femme having longer hair and like the looks and drawings can be interpreted more as like a woman versus the gender defined woman versus a man right versus but then is specifically referred to only as a man I feel like it's super fascinating as well in the way that it's dealing with gender. Gender identity and gender expression do not exactly. have to be related. Exactly. Woke king payment. Oh my God. Dare we <laughs> say. Woke, woke king of hell. <laughs> well, that's, I guess, a question I have is like, do we think that this, like, obviously, like, the, the movie's not necessarily all about this, but like, do we think the themes, like, the trans themes within this are good or bad because i mean like not bad necessarily in this sense but like they are you know violent ends and like very destructive and like the way it treats like charlie's transition and the way that it treats like sort of like gender like is it i don't know i genuinely don't know but i'm curious to like see if either of you have thoughts on that you'd been mentioned off that you were like i don't really like no I'm like, it's yeah it's there's a lot happening in the <laughs> fucking movie so like i'm just my brain is melting <laughs> the only thing i'll say is that i've read like a lot of reviews from critics and like there seems to be like a balance of good and bad so i think like yeah. as you've been talking about this is a movie that very much relies on like interpretation but like you said reina it's really esoteric so i think the interpretation is much more open to just that instead of like there's one way to interpret this and this is what it is but yeah i i I think whenever somebody like decides to transition or goes through something like that, it's, it's never clean. Mm. It's never black or white. It's never like, like it's messy. Like, yeah. like regardless, like even if you had like a super accepting family, like not everybody in your family is going to be accepting. Um, you lose friends, you lose connections, you lose, you lose a lot. 
mm-hmm. you have a lot to gain but you lose a lot and in the end it is messy and i think and i think hereditary's portrayal of it is like it's like over the top horror movie portrayal it's like yeah fucking everybody dies but at the end of it i mean i don't know if it's like good or bad like i said <laughs> it's very esoteric but it's like yeah. I mean, payment got what he wanted in the end. So. Right. Exactly. Right. I think that that's the thing is that like he achieves what he's meant to achieve. And like, this is such like a crazy read, but in a way the cult is like, we just want to get you into the body, body that you feel yeah. comfortable in. We like... just want to get you on HRT. And... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, <laughs> that's what like... she finds when she's going through the books. Like uh, Tony Collette, she's like finding all these secrets, and she's like, "Oh, wait, no, this cult is doing a really nice thing for payment. This wow, this cult is really progressive." Like, but I, actually, one of the final lines of the movie is Anne Dowd being like, "We've corrected your body. Right. Like you were covetous of a male." form and like we've made that happen for you because we want you to like come here and be your best self Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating i also we've talked about it on the show before we will talk about it again in the future but that's it um no more (laughs) uh you know discussing like potentially like very sensitive topics in cinema in a way that is like uh you know can be like uncomfortable and like aggressive can sometimes like honestly be better representation than like the other end of the spectrum Mm. which is super pander right right and how it's just difficult if you're a queer artist and you want to create queer art and you feel like you have to then like take care of all these different potential landmines because Mm. you're representing the community in whatever way that you're representing them when you know it like takes away a layer of being able to focus like on the actual story so I don't know I think that I think that hereditary does not say anything that is like objectively bad that feels outside of like the scope of the movie but everyone has a different read on it like I was reading some like very not negative reviews of like the actual movie but like the trans themes within it where it's like it's about how femininity is like wrong Mm. and like you should reject it um especially if you don't feel comfortable and like that kind of stuff so it's everyone has a different read on it yeah it's like coming from you know a white cis straight man (laughs) it's like you would think that it could be such a toxic field and that it could go very very wrong and for it to not i think as we were saying i think it comes in his execution that it doesn't beat you over the head with these themes and this dialogue that it is able to succeed more because if it was something that was so blunt and so like this is what the movie's about, you would be like, oh no, like this is a fucking disaster versus the way that he's able to communicate so much of these themes through like his cinematography and through the sound design and things like that where you're just, just like picking little, up on these clues. Little dialogue moments. Right. It, you, it does not take a whole speech. It exactly. takes one line. And yeah. also, I, like as we mentioned, I mean, I don't know if you've read anything different, Raina, but I have never seen anything where Ari Aster talks about like these kinds of themes in the movie if he was Mm. like doing it consciously or not i really think that it's like a viewer interpretation he's almost like the the david lynch thing where he'll just give you like a broad stroke of what it's about and then it's like uh just 
take from it what you will. Yep. <laughs> Which I think is, I kind of, I think that's beautiful. And I mean, like, obviously as artists, like you set out and like, we, you know, we all write and stuff. It's like you set out, you have like a theme you want to like dig into and you have like what you're writing, but ultimately when you're done with the art, it's up for the viewer. And like, you're making art for some, like for people. And like, yeah. I think that's what's beautiful about movies is like, everyone's going to walk away with their own interpretation of it, like, and have their own read of it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why fucking movies rule because you can have your own emotional resonance with something versus just being like, oh, the movie wanted me to feel this way. I feel this way. And like, that's cool when you have an, as Raina, you said like, for you to watch this movie and have such a specific experience is so fucking cool. Like no one would, who would expect hereditary of every movie, you know? Like, right. Exactly. I sure didn't. (laughs) (laughs) It's wild. Yeah. And like, that is truly where you want to see like film criticism and film interpretation thrive is when you can like take a movie and make it very personal. Um, I was reading a sort of like companion piece to hereditary which is emily vanderwerf's um basically discussion on like trans themes in midsummer and i mean like like we were saying off mic she never misses Mm. all of her articles are amazing but like there's so much that has been done with i mean that's like a huge part of our podcast the interpretation of movies through like a queer and or trans specific lens about like I don't know like you take these movies that are not about that and you say that they are about that and then suddenly they are about that it's a counteract to those fucking like articles that's like the hereditary ending explained (laughs) right yes like fuck out of here with that 25 details you may have missed in hereditary i was looking at i was looking at some of those like more clickbaity articles mostly because i was trying to figure out if there was stuff that i like had missed because i was so absurdly freaked out on first watch Mm. and then it was like the most obvious shit like did you know that you can see tony collette on the ceiling in that one shot and i was like i sure Wait, fucking what? hope so the telephone pole has a mark of payment on it did you know that when they hold the shot on the <gasps> mark of payment it's just the mark of payment i actually i i didn't remember that from the first time did you know the movie is directed by ari aster that, Fuck. oh crazy like, nuts no mind <laughs> blown <laughs> Reina, for you, after you transitioned, how like have you gone back to certain movies and have they like had a different resonance or do you feel like now, like, do you pick up on certain things? Because you mentioned like with this one, it was like you were feeling so much because you were thinking it. But now that you've transitioned, do you like not pick it up? Like, I'm just curious about like your relationship with that. I think it was, I think it's more of like, I'm not suppressing it nearly as hard anymore. (laughs) So like now I could just casually go and like, Hey, this is gay. Oh yeah. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's no, I'm like, like I notice it, but it's not as like prominent anymore because I'm not like trying to actively avoid it. Like you ever see that joke where it's like somebody running, it's like, you can't catch me gay thoughts. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But it's like, it's yeah it's not like that now so whenever something's like like queer or trans like out in the open i'm like fuck yeah 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 Yeah, no it's awesome i think that yeah i think that when you are experiencing something and it obviously doesn't just have to be through like you know this lens that we're talking about but when you're experiencing something that you can't fully either like 
process or, or talk about or like really examine yet media is I think like one of the first things that you go to, to try to figure mm-hmm. out how you might potentially process it in the future and I think that like it's for it's for people behind the camera too that's why there are so many great movies about like grief and yeah. death and totally. birth and family I mean shit look the Wachowskis did the Matrix because right. neither one of them knew that they were trans <laughs> right so crazy it's so the Wachowskis I'm a huge huge Wachowskis stan um, Wachowski ascending oh yeah oh you know it but like <laughs> it's so interesting to like look it, just to look back and like look at Bound and look at the Matrix mm. back to back and like just the knowledge that like these two trans women were getting like every suit in the industry to be like you know what that sounds like a great movie with absolutely (laughs) no thematic implications is like just i think one of the best things that has ever happened (laughs) i like how warner is like yeah like even with like the more like modern takes on the matrix and modern ratings on it like i like how warner is still like yeah, let's go back to that series. Yeah, you yeah, know we want to go back to the Matrix. So we got to go back to the Matrix. It's just such, yeah. it's so huge and it's so like iconic. You know, if the yeah. dollar sign is big enough, Matrix. the studios will do whatever Matrix, but With there's the dollar, dollar sign. And then somewhere. I'm convinced like Lana Wachowski would not come back unless she had like a worthwhile story. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I'm so Absolutely. ready. I'm so ready. On your point, Raina, just because being a follower of your Twitter, which I would highly recommend for many people, you tweet about Harley Quinn a lot, who I, of course, stan. My queen. We all stan. stan. Just like to put that out there. I just finished watching the Harley Quinn TV show, and it was (laughs) one of the first experiences, not first experiences, like I've talked about this all, I'm like, but it was, I knew that it was going to be like Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy were going to be gay for each other, but it was one of those times when I picked up so quickly on the gay themes this time, even though I knew about it, but like completely like devoid just watching it, I was sort of able to so quickly pick up on the gay context, not even trying to find it, just trying to enjoy the show, which feels like one of the first times, not first times, but like it's this fun new experience that I feel like I've been having where I'm able to like see these gay things and just be like, that's gay. Like, give me the gay. Like, this is like in like pointing at it with an arrow, like a bright red (laughs) fucking arrow. And it's just like having like push so much of that down for so long and now being able to be like oh my god this is so cool like can we see more of that to be able to like watch the show in real time like recognize that is so fucking amazing because they're like oh we do have a gay thing here we should like lean into that and like have them come together and they have a character on there who like plays around with gender expression right clayface Yes, we yes. stand Clayface. <laughs> like, like full blown, he like takes on the Stephanie identity at the college, and like yes. it's a boyfriend and everything. And it's like, oh, okay, like, like they're hella leaning into this. Like, yeah, I'm sure it's no secret that I'm a huge like Harley Quinn fan. I mean, <laughs> I mean the greatness, yeah. For, As for Raina listeners. points to a bunch of Harley <laughs> yeah. Quinn posters behind for the her. listeners at home, I have framed posters of Suicide Squad, the new Suicide Squad, and Birds of Prey. Yeah, um, perfect. But yeah, I think I think we're reaching this dynamic shift in media where like, yeah, Hollywood's always had gays, but now there's no longer reason to hide it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah and and i'm all for it 
you don't yeah. have to hide it in you know the haze code isn't suppressing your voice like you don't have to slip it in with a little like wink and a nod it can be like up fronted fucking center hilarious which which, <laughs> which my mom brought it up because she was like she was like uh bringing she was watching some like it hot oh <laughs> masterpiece alert it, it is and she brought it up how it ends and she's yeah. like oh that ending's kind of kind of kind of gay and i'm like yes like yes. I think now you get it the ending is like <laughs> the greatest extremely, last line of all time. like not only comedy gold but like the ending is extremely affirming yes and literally when you were talking about clayface I, immediately i was thinking about some like it hot where he's like but i i'm engaged what am i supposed to do like i made a commitment i can't just back out of that oh my god that movie yeah. is so good we won't talk about it too much because we, we, we will definitely to, yeah. cover it one day but yeah i i think that like or another thing about Harley Quinn. Um, so nice we're talking about some light stuff because this movie is like yeah. so dark. <laughs> like deal with the trauma, yeah. deal with the trauma. You need, <laughs> you need a palate cleanse after you, do. you watch it. But like something that's so exciting about Harley Quinn is that is that is a very joyful show. That's like, what if you found out that you were in love with your best friend and then like you tried to make it work, but it's, it's not about like, isn't it great that women can also love women? Like they, mm. I, they never make a thing out of it. And it's so like joyful and fun. And there's all of sort of like the torture around, oh, like I can't be with Ivy is mm. is so normal and not yeah. like they, queer specific. They have uh, queer writers, especially for season three. They said they like up their like Hot. the amount of queer writers on it. Hell Hot. yeah. Oh God, I can't wait to see them just like do crime together. Be gay, Great. do crime. It's the series. So oh God, I'm so excited. I think I saw one of the writers tweet out, you know how they said like, oh, they had to remove that like Batman like eats pussy because like heroes don't do that. Right. And one of the writers is like, okay, we'll just throw in Harley eating pussy. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, I can't wait for season three. Most anticipated show 2022. Yeah. Oh god, I'm so excited. That's so good. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, yeah. I do love how media is like really like not even like leaning into it, but just like embracing it, not trying to hide it anymore. Yeah, yeah it's really nice. And like I think that as time goes on, it's gonna worm its way as it should into like even the corners that it's not in right now i don't know i feel like i always have like my knives out for the disney marvel corporation out yes that's knives why out. i said it tony collette tony collette, collette. star of this Hereditary. movie oh sorry thinking about tony collette and oscars is obviously with her being snubbed with this movie when it was released and stuff so snubbed do we think that nightmare alley could be a nom for her or because i just feel like she has had such a strong career for so long and there are so many things where she could have won like six cents like little miss sunshine like obviously oh, she gets so the good. emmy or uh globe or Velvet emmy for unbelievable saw. <laughs> oh my god oh my god oh my god that movie um i i, I think the academy like somebody there hates her because if she hasn't gotten it by now i don't think she will yeah but she's just given so many new like even like knives out of like it's like her range is so incredible and she just they don't give her anything she's so good and she's been on the scene for so long and yet like to be fair i'm uneducated but like i didn't really know who she was mm. before hereditary mm. of course i have corrected mm. that um yeah, mariel's wedding <laughs> did you see six cents before this or no i 
have never <gasps> seen Whoa! the sixth Um Unfortunately, though, I do know the twist. So. Wait, no, it's still good. It's <laughs> one oh, no, twist. I know. Oh, it yes, is, the twist still lands. I need. Yeah, I the need twist to watch still it. Hits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've I've heard. I like have just been. I've meant to watch it for so long, and it's just one of those things where like I've just never just gotten gotta around to it. To I'll it. tell you what the most unrealistic aspect of that movie is: is the fact that he's fucking dead and he still shows up for work. <laughs> It's like, what are you doing, Capitalism dude? is a prison yeah, <laughs> that literally. you successfully escaped, and yet, yeah. and yet. <laughs> That's so, so funny. So I think Tony Collette, somebody, somebody at the Academy hates her, because so, they're like, they get the screener oh. with her performance, and like, get this bitch out of here. Get it out of here. Well, the Academy <laughs> famously hates horror, right. like, the Sixth which Sense is like, d- Which yeah. is, like, stupid, because the Academy Museum bought the fucking May Queen dress from A24. Yep. Yep. And I'm like, hello, where are the awards? I think it's coming around. I think that we're slowly starting to get better with it. Like, I think like people are starting to recognize that horror, like, isn't just like a genre. I mean, it is genre, but, but like, they're like not being discriminatory towards genre as much. I think as like the younger generation comes up and like starts to take over slowly. I think it's a process. It's a, it's a but slow I process. I think that like we're starting to get to more respect for it here's some industry inside baseball for you i promise i'll make this very quick but like no, a please lo- <laughs> go in depth about this i love shit like this <laughs> a lot of studios are getting acquired by non-studio companies like at&t right. buying like warner's which and went so HBO. well that's bad that's bad. really bad first yes, of all that's bad. awful but the wb shield is blue now it's so sad the worst like, transition ever it, yeah in a movie of transitions that's the worst <laughs> like fuck it go back go back <laughs> it's i i hate it all yeah so what were you Sorry, saying yeah. like a bunch of non-like media yeah. companies are buying so like basically i think like the studio there's been a studio push towards like brand awareness and mm. content as opposed to like the prestige plays because like i think like after the indie boom of like the 70s and like new hollywood studios sort of like took back over and like we've seen like a lot of studio domination uh in the like the oscar circuit in the the last few years but like with the pandemic and with all these studios like integrating and having their own streaming services and focusing on like pushing anything risky like to the streaming services i think it's gonna like open a gap in the Martin in the market for like not just the super prestige small studio business like A24 to get to awards you know recognition but like the weird shit too like you want weird shit to win awards because you want like you know cinema to push boundaries and all that mm. good stuff like it would be so cool if hereditary or midsummer was like in the awards conversation as they should right. have been because like two absolutely powerhouse lead performances and just like insane writing and directing and like filmmaking yeah but i don't know it's always the push and pull between art and profit with like oscar ratings being horrible yeah because it's like weird because it's like like i'm sure you guys saw the tragedy of macbeth trailer oh it's like the scottish play yeah it's it, it it's in it's in theaters for two weeks like the academy minimum and then it like just goes straight to apple tv plus yeah yeah which yeah. it's like it's like i think i feel like one of these days the academy is just gonna have to get rid of that like streamer rule or like that theatrical rule that it like oh it needs to play in like new york and la for two weeks to be eligible because it's like 
we're reaching this climate where like damn near like I almost get a work studio like I almost get like a work email a week from a different studio going like hey our release plan is changing for this movie like a shit I just got one for Halloween going like right like I knew the day before they announced it that it's like hey it's going to Peacock and I was like fuck yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And I think that like the Academy is really stubborn, famously. So the two things that I personally don't think will ever change are the theatrical commitment and showing the Oscars on cable instead of like on Amazon or something mm. like that. The way that like the Fenty show is like live on Amazon because yeah. they're fucking stubborn. I like kind of don't want it to be on a streamer though, low key. No, I agree. <laughs> it, but yeah. it's weird because it's like if it was on a streamer, you wouldn't have to worry about ratings. Right, you wouldn't right. have to like well, have all this fucking hoop about what is nominated because you they, need they can't like because wouldn't that be like a major like conflict of interest like oh amazon showing the oscars oh ironically they have a bunch of movies nominated right. but then it's also like abc or whatever is owned by disney cbs yeah if they showed on netflix netflix has a bunch of right. movies nominated right yeah the it's thing like is, all these like streaming yeah. services are like owned individually so it's like they can't I don't think capitalism sucks. Yeah. But like you said, it's so crazy to be like Viacom CBS is part of like a studio that releases yes. movies, but like not really, but it is because right. if you go higher up, Paramount. there's just less and less people. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what? I can, I have a it's transition fine. point. Yes. You had mentioned the tragedy of Macbeth during production of this movie. Alex Wolf went to Ari Aster and was like, they were talking about uh, William Shakespeare's Scottish play and was like, you can't say the name of it out loud. And Ari Aster was like, haha, fuck you and did it. And then a light broke immediately during shooting. So like, was the set cursed? Is this movie cursed? Is that's why it's so scary? question mark look if there's one thing you learn from working in entertainment it's that you don't fuck with Macbeth, whether or not you think that you're above it or whether you think that a movie set doesn't actually count as a theater and also this whole house is built on a sound stage which is dangerously close to a theater well this whole movie looks like a theater production when you cut to the final shot and it's just a little fucking nativity scene with like the black background it looks like that would be on like a theater stage yeah so so basically joel cohen said fuck it i'm gonna break this curse I think it's because, like, you can do Macbeth on stage. It's sort of like the idea that you're celebrating the art kind of negates the curse. You just have to be careful. Um, yeah. But, like, you just, you, you don't yeah, say like, Macbeth in a theater. Because, like, the last adaptation, do. like, bombed at the box office, huh? I it know. Did. Which was good, though. Yeah. The Curzel like, one? Gorgeous. Yeah, I, gorgeous. Mad oh, good. Mad yeah. good. Marianne everyone's Cotillard. like, oh, oh, this is, like, everyone's like, the Cohen version of Macbeth is going to be the best i'm like don't sleep at that on that Grisel one i'm in don't for on it. any version of Macbeth. my favorite shakespeare that's that's that the, that tracks yes of course it tracks <laughs> you kidding me <laughs> duh anywho is there anything else we need to discuss about this movie i Any honestly scenes? feel like we could, yeah. kind of fucking did look as we Everyone said, iconic dinner table scene is iconic. I love the amount of memes that came out of this movie. Like the catching I, on fire. It made me happy that this movie brought some joy to people <laughs> via there, memes. Wait, there are so many memes. The mother, her mother bit, her mouth opening, then shutting him on fire. Yep. What? Like Hail Paymon so, was, was like, like a thing so for so many. long. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ari Aster, Great. meme king. Meme king. All hail. Can't, can't, can't wait for that next one that he's doing. I know. With, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. It's going to be good. Yeah. I hope. Fuck. Yeah. 
yeah, Joaquin Phoenix in That's an Ari Aster movie sounds twisted. Nuts. Cause I think like both Tony Collette and Florence Pugh have both talked about how like Ari Aster is great to work with. Like he's not like a punishing director by any means, but like the subject matter is just so intense and you have to commit so hard that like it takes a huge amount of recovery. Yeah. I I'm hearing hearsay on this movie that it's like going to be a lot lighter. Like, mm-hmm. like I think it might be a comedy. I'm Interesting. Thinking it, might. it works though, because I think horror and comedy are very like they're married. They're yeah. a lovely couple. It's and like, it's about timing, right? They, they ask for timing. reactions yes. from yes. their audience. Yes, exactly. And I think like, if anyone could do it, I'm sure he can make a comedy because there are parts in this that are also very funny. Like there are yeah. humor beats. Oh, yeah. Midsummer is like legit. Like there are like hilarious moments in Midsummer. Will yeah. Poulter vaping certified Great. iconic. Oh, yeah, vape god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him just pissing on the log. <laughs> so good. Yeah, and in this movie too. I mean, there's even oh, another good meme is that I never wanted to be your mother starts beatboxing. Yes. Um, such a classic. Not to mention that don't you dare raise your voice at me, you I little shit. It. But like that, I find that moment of her being like, "I never wanted to be your mother," <gasps> is like funny in it's a way. So oh, good because you're like, oh my <laughs> yeah, god, her, girl. She's like, oh, oop, oops. did I? <laughs> That's oh, great. I, I can't. I can't wait to see what he does next. I mean. Me too. Yeah, th- this and Midsummer back to back, it was like, okay, I'll watch anything this man does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was, it's really, he has a voice. I think it's, I mean, I don't know what more to say other than like, I'm hell of excited. Let's see it. Let's, Let's do see it. it. This um, movie, speaking how of much, seeing things, say, how much <laughs> did it make? Because it's A24's number one grocer. Which is kind of crazy because, well, okay, worldwide it made 81 mil. But domestically, it made 44 mil. And it's kind of wow. insane that, like, that is the highest A24 grocer. So, <laughs> so I can give inside baseball on that. Like, I was working at the theater at the time. So, like, we get our bookings ahead of time. And, like, when I was at AMC, we knew which theaters in the Phoenix market were going to get what movie. Mm-hmm. And Hereditary was, like, one of the few A24s. Like, for the most part, we knew which locations would always get the A24 movies. And, like, we get the email about Hereditary. And it's like, Oh no, every location is getting this. And we're like, oh fuck. That rules. This thing opened so wide. 2,900 theaters. That is crazy. Like that has to be their biggest release, right? I think so. Because I don't really know what else there would be. Moonlight opened on three thousand screens, (laughs) went on to gross a hundred million at the box office. Let let me let me verify. I'm trying to... Well, because I'm, like, thinking about... It's wild, too, this movie, because obviously, like, horror is easier to sell without stars. But this movie does, like... The cast is, like, well-known. I mean, like, at least in the film world, you have, like, Tony Collette, as we were saying, Alex Wolf, Gabriel Byrne is in it, who we haven't even mentioned. I who mean, is, like, king. been in so much, like, in treatment was, like, the biggest thing ever. You know what I mean? So, like... There were names to this. Oh, yeah. I mean, Gabriel Byrne gets the and, and Dowd gets the and. Like, it's awesome. Or the with, sorry. Okay, it's, so so yes. mid, Here we go. Midsummer did not open in 2,900 theaters. It did not. It opened in 2,700. Yeah, and I, I think 
they said that one technically beat the record though because it got a re-release ah okay. uh, right the director's, got you, got you. Their director's, their director's cut because I, I was looking at um shout out to the numbers.com my favorite website uh box office, mojo, box office mojo do not We're interact no, no longer friends um DNI. friendship ended with update <laughs> friendship ended with box office mojo the numbers is my best friend now yes. but i was looking oh, yeah. at the all-time domestic box office for a24 movies and yeah like technically uncut gems has grossed the most domestically but hereditary has grossed the most worldwide and sitting right in the middle of them is ladybird then moonlight is number four <laughs> so like there's really the, the pickings are slim um but wow hey. that's insane that like hereditary was like such a big big movie for like them. people that's... love horror it's crazy to me that they didn't platform it that they were like here you go you can take all the screens um it's just it's awesome and like it opened number four which is not great but like is not terrible yeah um, it had legs it had it legs had legs yeah it played through like the whole summer like very handily and of course like is critically like so loved a and darling, i think pretty yeah. commercially loved across the board too like of course you get the people that are like two stars bad movie but i feel like everyone that i know that has good taste and even marginally good taste likes it, but Raina, you, you seem like you, I was going to say, like working at takes. the working at the theater, people would walk out going like, "What the fuck was that?" Like <laughs> it's that a bit prickly. sucked. Yeah, <laughs> I want to say they probably gave this such a wide release because of the reception of something like The Witch, mm-hmm. and they probably went like, "Oh, our next horror, we need to give a wide release." Then they saw what it did and went. Okay, maybe not. Maybe, maybe scale we'll it back. split the difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like because I doubt something like Lamb is gonna get like a oh, huge no. release. Oh, no. I'm so ready though. That's the that's the thing about living in the greater Los Angeles area is that like you know you can see everything. Like yeah, I never have to part. stress about seeing a movie. That yeah. is a huge plus. Yeah. Fuck, I was supposed to see that at Fantastic Fest this weekend. I'm pissed. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will will be tuning in opening weekend to that, but I'm not going to say anything else about it because very famously, talking about twists and spoilers and all that, you should apparently go into that movie very cold. Um, So there you go. Love A24 and their weird horror shit. We love it. Well, I think like at the end of the day, horror sells. It's easy to be like if you're a teenager, hey, do you want to go see a horror movie? Like, yes. Like, yes. Do you want to go on a DC horror movie? Yes. It's like e- much easier to sell a crowd on a horror movie without a star versus a drama family without yeah. like with stars. Horror yeah. and YA are the two, basically like the two genres where you can actually cast unknowns because yeah. like teens care less about like name cachet. Yeah. Apparently. Um, I just think it's funny how now though that's translated to like who cares if you can act or you really only care about your social media engagement which like you can put anyone in this fucking movie for the teens like it's fine it just doesn't need to be someone with six million followers anyway hey jordan hey brooke do you want to guess the letterbox rating i would like to okay, okay. you can also put in a guess reina if you would like to but it is not required do you have one? Ooh, i do uh 4.2 okay okay jordan shit any thoughts silence is a four i'll go four i'll go down one four one okay cool 
I feel like it's like a four four. It's a four flat. Oh, four point oh, shit. oh. More people have actually rated this movie four stars than five stars, which is kind of surprising. But it's still in the four range, I think, 4. is very good. Point oh. Yeah. Oh yes, That's very pretty good. Pretty high. Yeah. Um when we had the lovely uh, Iana Murray on she was talking about how every good film has a 3.9 on Letterboxd and like that's how you know <laughs> so anyway we gotta get this lower you're saying yeah yeah for right. sure so, so this right. movie isn't good yeah, so go review vomit this movie sucks yeah um, have star review waste the time yes uh the Iana rule we'll keep yes. that in mind every time we watch something that's like a good like critical movie but is not like so critically beloved yet yes um that's the Iana rule okay I love it. um so yeah four flat and this movie has been seen by 672,000 people on letterboxd let's fucking go very, it's very popular very popular very very wow. popular so there you go the youth the cool kids have spoken and they say go watch Hereditary. And they say family trauma. Woo! <laughs> They're gonna buy their A24 puzzles of Charlie's head. Covered yes. in oh my! <laughs> I would buy that puzzle. That would rule. Mm-hmm. No, it exists. It what? Exists. Well, they, you know how A24 does like super limited merch releases, yeah. and then they never come back. I didn't even know that existed. It's still in stock. <gasps> Oh, I'm actually wearing A24 merch. They're, oh, uh, my God. Hey. Green Knight shirt. Green Knight oh, shirt. Yeah. Very yeah. nice. Okay. Jordan, I'll get it for you for your birthday, which is coming up, actually. Too bad if I buy it first. Well, uh, <laughs> like, you're not going to let me do something nice for you? Never. We'll rehash I, you, it. you won't be nice for you to do? What? Tell me where this lands on the queer quadrant for Ooh. you. Wow. How does he do it? <laughs> Okay. That was like your best, like first, like best transition of the night. It's Thank a, you, you can just say first good transition. It's yeah. fine. We know yeah. that was like you know it was Charlie smooth. myself. <laughs> um. Yes, I think that I I uh I always love when like we have a conversation and then it like changes or really like solidifies my opinion mm. about this portion because I was like not sure how I was going to feel going yeah. into this. I really wanted to like explore it and I think that like like we said, it's a movie that can be interpreted a multitude of different ways uh in terms of obviously like general themes but also representation and I think that like given how much we like this movie and given everything that we've talked about and how it is sort of like a gender affirming movie in a type of way. And I think that like it surprisingly, it actually fits very well with the themes. Mm. I like, I'm going to say it's definitely a positive representation, even if it is a little, messed up (laughs) um and i really liked everything that we talked about especially considering like how the you know themes of of gender and transition in this movie relate to like family and to like we said femininity and every complicated thing that comes with that i think i'm gonna give it a three and a half nice all right what are you what are you thinking jordan three three payments and a half of a head there you go um let's see i feel similarly i think this conversation did help as i said before like coming in i was really not sure and like i had been reading a lot on both sides and i'm like ah my brain (laughs) because like i love this movie so much and i think like as we talked about earlier like with silence of the lambs it's very clear what that is or where seat of chucky is it's like a very clear sort of staunch (laughs) what a lineup take (laughs) yes um (laughs) where this one's a little bit more messy because it's not i think so front and center and Mm -hmm. it's not really 
like as Raina was saying, like everyone's gonna have like their own experience with this movie, and like you're gonna walk away thinking about like a different thing. Is this about like God intervention? Is this about like family, or is it about all these things? Is it about like transitioning? So long story short, I think that this has sort of like helped me recognize, as we were saying, like the payment of it all. I don't know. I'm gonna go with a three. Okay. Um, but I do think it's like. I think that this movie is dealing and grappling with these themes of transition in an interesting way. And I think that horror, as we've talked about many times before, is the best genre because it's able to talk about queer themes constantly because it's able to like weave them into the story and the horror beats. And like, obviously like it's violent what happens for Charlie or payment to transition to being in their male host. But like, ultimately it like gets the story and like the scares across which is the intention of the film so yeah. you know three for me Love i say it. reyna what are you thinking i was gonna go three five. Oh hey but i think due to my personal experience with it i think i'm gonna go four yeah yeah just because you know like i said before like it's messy it doesn't represent everybody's thing fuck people might not even get this message from it but yeah you know for the impact it made on me i'm gonna do this one a solid and give it a four i think i think that's deserved i totally (laughs) think it's deserved and like it's such a great example of how sort of like representation can function in a way where it's like woven into the themes like when we talked about silence of the lambs uh, so much of what we talked about is like how that depiction defined how people thought about like right. transgender people for the next 30 years and like and seed of chucky came along and fucking killed it <laughs> <Seed> of chucky <laughs> one of the most weirdly gender affirming films, films ever, like, yeah. ever um but like i think that it's it's really nice to look at like a very different kind of like depiction on screen where yeah. like we said it's kind of like in the weeds but it's very clear if you dig into it um and it sort of all tracks really nicely let's go hereditary let's I go ariaster agree yeah. one thing that i completely forgot to bring up is oh, that oh this is the most utah movie <laughs> that's ever you mountains in the sense pine trees yes that but like it is stunning but i'm like the small town vibes small town vibes yeah you know just really bring it full circle i think as i've been watching midnight mass i feel like that has very specific small town vibes that a lot of movies miss incorrectly yes if you if you move to a small town and there's a small group of people congregating every so often not a good Run. sign. No yeah. good. No Run. good. <laughs> uh, a lesson that we can all take away from the pod. I love it. Uh, if you see a small group of people such as us congregating, you should definitely oh. run to our Dude. social media. Oh, wow. Oh, that was not as good. Wow. But I, leaved into I it harder. expected more of you. Yeah, I know. Thank you. I'm, yes. <laughs> I'm not really yes. the transition person because I know that it's going to be like a solid two and a half out of five. Jordan is usually like a one out of five no, or a five I, out of five exactly higher like, is high reward exactly i'm a gambler <laughs> baby call me the card counter um reyna thank you so much for being here truly a delight you're the Not best a problem so glad to always come back oh my god our fave one of our few returners yes you are the second returning guest that we have had beaten only very slightly last week by arden uh for seat of chucky uh and yes we would love to have you back anytime always welcome definitely be cashing in that chip 
you're just going to be so sick of me texting you being like, <laughs> nah, what if we talked about this horror movie? You like this <laughs> horror movie, right? It'll be good. You know what? I always look forward to those, you know? Brooke texted me. She's like, would you be up for talking about one of these? And I was like, so down for Hereditary. <laughs> I love it. It's the best. You know what? You gotta, I feel like the next one we gotta have you on is like, if you'd be down, I feel you gotta like veer hard to like a not horror and do something <laughs> like, I don't know, a no, Western. Please, please. Like people like only know, know me as like, oh, the horror gal. And it's, it's like, no, like I watch everything. Yeah. I love it. So. That's we'll It'll make, happen. You know, we'll make that the deal. The next one yes. will not be a horror. Horror, movie. Non horror. You got it. Brooke, I if you text me and, you, and you're asking me to do a horror, I'm going to say no. Blocked. We're going to fucking Canceled. Charlie Deleted. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will stick to my word. I promise. Anyway, as we've mentioned, you are a great writer and a great podcaster and a great in many areas of the media industry if people want to find out more about you where should they go you can look up all my social media handles at jfc doomblade i'm also writing pretty regularly right now for uh fangoria and bloody disgusting those are pretty much my main two outlets right now um hell yeah kind of i know like i say i watch everything but horror is just where i gravitated towards so Listen, we're yeah. experts on some things and enjoyers of other things, and that's just exactly. how it is. And you know, writing for like the two biggest horror sites are like that's not bad. that's nothing. Yeah, nothing to scoff at. So Absolutely. you're pulling it. You're not. Would we say you're pulling an Ari Aster? <laughs> yeah, you, you it, like it, you fell into horror, but you're like I kind of love it. Yeah, it's like oh, okay, maybe I am good at this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely you are absolutely um we're not as exciting but we are also on twitter that's true i'm a brooke b solomon jordan h gus and we're together at queer quadrant and you can find this podcast on spotify and apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcast drop us a review if you're so inclined i would love to read more reviews on mike but we don't get them very <laughs> often so if you drop send em. us one drop them like a head saying I will read it on mic. I'm making that promise wow. to, I to made payment. a promise to Raina, making a promise to the listeners. I will be later making a promise to payment. It's not important. Don't worry about it. No payment. Um, you can drop us a rate as well and uh, give us a follow if you like. And you can also tweet at us and tell us your thoughts about this movie. And, you know, if we missed any hot hereditary memes um, or if, you know, what you'd like to see us cover in the future. And what are we covering next week? Yes. So to close out our horror month here, we are talking sort of another classic, if yeah, you will. Yeah. Uh, next week, we are discussing Brian De Palma's Dressed to Kill. Uh, are we getting dressed? We're getting dressed. Are we going to kill? To kill. There we are. I mean, TVD. I mean, I think well, we're going mean, to kill I... the episode. Oh, but, ooh, mm, wow. Uh, it's a movie that is a lot, so there will be a lot yes. to talk about. I think that's the best way to go into it. Just, yeah. just think that the dials would be pushed to 10 it's, across it's, the board. It's a lot. Anyway, so tune in next week for that. Jordan, <laughs> is there anything you'd like to end the episode on? I mean, I actually do. I think that this is a great movie for an ad for Volvo. Like, while, you know, a child does get decapitated, it really does show that the brakes work phenomenally well. Like, the car is able to come to a complete stop, doesn't veer off the road, really safe and secure, uh, other than a decapitation. Too soon. He's trying to get that Volvo sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> 